Hello there, and greetings to you. Welcome to Duel of the Takes, the movie and pop culture podcast that pins the wildest, most unpopular opinions head-to-head. Today, we are making a tier list out of the Rankin-Bass animated TV specials. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis, Alden Mason, and Jory Boston. Hello everyone, welcome to Duel of the Takes. Today we're doing something a little different. We haven't really done a a proper tier list format since the Conspiracy Theory tier list as our 4th of July special. And this is going to be one of our uh, uh, Christmas special. We are going to be uh, making a tier list for all of the Rankin-Bass animated television specials from the uh, 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Who's excited for this? I'm very excited. I love Christmas. I'm looking forward to the results of this. I think this could get interesting. (laughs) Yeah, this is going to get real weird. I feel like when you said uh, Rankin-Bass Christmas specials, I thought of like three. And then the fourth was like, oh, also Little Drummer Boy. And I'm looking at these thumbnails like, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Just out of curiosity, how many of these thumbnails are like standing out to you guys from your memory because i've seen almost all of these why why is the last thumbnail just the presidential debate this past year (laughs) (laughs) i don't know maybe we should ask the higher beings that are in charge of everything (laughs) me yes nate speaking of the higher beings that are in charge of everything the five tiers that i have created for this and we can always create more obviously if something doesn't quite fit in this caliber the top tier is the deserved classics movies that should have the recognition that they do or maybe perhaps deserve more think of this is going to be a pretty small category yeah scary godmother should be on there though <laughs> lay off the weed we've got the probably our right tier which uh yeah I'm assuming most of us haven't seen any of these so <laughs> it probably all right probably all right up next we've got the perfect middle tier boomer food (laughs) yeah these these were made for the the boomers they they like literal boomers not just people that are slightly older than us so uh i think a lot of these the themes just really don't resonate with the modern generation and when i was growing up they still had all these on like abc's like 25 days of christmas and shit but i looked at the programming for this year Dude, the Freeform's 25 Days of Christmas has, like, a bunch of, like, Hallmark movies. It doesn't have any of this shit. It's got, like, Rudolph once, Frosty once. Damn. Do you think that, like, streaming platforms are trying to buy them up like Apple did with uh, the Peanuts holiday specials? AMC has distribution rights for most of these. I see. These Hallmark movies, like make fucking bank and they make so many like a year mm, speaking of hallmark movies there was one that my mom was watching yesterday and the santa character in it was legitimately the flying dutchman from spongebob who i also found out is bill murray's brother oh yeah yeah yeah. i'm not allowed to watch hallmark movies with my family anymore because i tried watching one last year and i like gave away the entire plot and synopsis in the first five minutes <laughs> <laughs> And your mother was very upset with you. It was actually my dad. My dad is a big Hallmark movie stan. I didn't mean to add my father like this live on the podcast. What if we rank all of the Hallmark Christmas specials? I don't think I could get through that. I don't think we have the time for that. It's 986 movies and counting. My father. All right. So if we take like a full year off and watch like three of those a night, 
then maybe we can get that out by next Christmas. I think I would go insane. We would all turn into the Joker. <laughs> uh, speaking of turning into the Joker, the next tier is Lay Off the Weed, a uh, reoccurring uh, tier from our conspiracy theory tier list. I think there's also going to be a couple of movies that fit in this mold as well. And uh, there's also the unwatchable tier. So, yeah, I'm thinking some of these might make it there as well. The way that we're going to do this, uh, I wrote up summaries for all of these movies, specifically the ones that I'm, I'm assuming you guys haven't seen. Try to give you a rundown of the plot, a couple of the main characters. If at any time you guys want to stop me, throw in some jokes, please. I, I feel like this needs to be as entertaining as possible. <laughs> so, uh... Please. <laughs> you can hear the desperate in his voice. When I say please, I mean please. Yeah, just, just riff over me reading the summary, please. Uh, this needs to be funny. Uh, well, let's start things off where it all began. I have these in chronological order in my notes. Uh, yeah, I have seven pages of type notes in case anyone was wondering. Um, front and back. Do you have any notes on the Bushido Blade uh, film that was produced by Rankin Bass? Kind of like The Last Unicorn, The Hobbit, The Return of the King, all of their animated movies that were based off of novels that weren't TV specials, but were TV films. I did not include on this list because I didn't want it to include 38 entries. <laughs> this one is like, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for him, and this one is just like a live action samurai movie that they also produced. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing about this. Uh, Rankin Bass, the uh, writers obviously were American, and uh, some of the animation was done in America, but most of it was outsourced to Japan. So these are technically animes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Based Christmas anime. <laughs> all right. So here's our anime tier list for all of you who have been asking for it. Starting off the first special, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. What can I say about this one that hasn't been said already? Everyone fucking knows this one. Even if you haven't seen it, it's been spoofed like thousands of times. They use bits of it for AT&T commercials now. It's just, it's, it's a pop culture zeitgeist. Um, Rudolph actually used to only air once a year on Christmas Eve. And uh, ever since uh, people stopped watching television, they don't do that anymore. It airs all the time. Uh, currently, I believe CBS has the rights to re-air it, but it's, it's on multiple channels. Uh, it's been telecast every single year since 1964, making it the longest continuously run Christmas television special. The plot's kind of iconic. You know, there's this island of misfit toys. Rudolph's this one special reindeer with a glowing nose. Um, there's some shit in there that I totally forgot. Like, uh, like they fight the abominable snowman at one point. Yeah, I always forget about that shit when I watch this movie. I'm just like, all right, so Rudolph is going to, Santa's going to come. He's going to ask him to ride the reindeer thing. But, like, Rudolph gets exiled from the North Pole and shit. And then, uh, like, they find the island of misfit toys in this one, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that, like all of that shit. I feel like... Rudolph is Moses. I feel like this one has to be a deserved classic. Like, there's no way. Like, of all of these, this is... One that has to go up. Hey Alden, how did they defeat the abominable snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? They like they were on a, a small iceberg, right? And they he fell in the water. Yes, that's that's part of it. Okay, well that's all I remember. I watched it last year. They tame it because uh, Hermie, the closeted closeted elf dentist, uh, uh, pulls his damaged teeth and makes him a lot happier. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> 
and then he becomes like part of the gang it's like a new party uh, a new member has joined your party like the abominable snowman's cool now can't forget yukon cornelius the prospector of the north some dude just looking for gold up in the fucking north pole king moon racer he's like the giant like lion with wings like there's a lot of shit going on in this the lore of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is insane uh so yeah rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is probably the best jrpg so we should definitely put it up <laughs> i i know we're this isn't on the list but i just want to know what's everybody's quick thoughts on rudolph 2 are you talking about the computer animated rudolph sequel yes yeah that's not on here but that's cool i like it when i look up rudolph 2 it shows me the holy roman emperor <laughs> Rudolph the second. <laughs> when when we rank in pharaohs yeah let's well, not <laughs> so uh rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is a deserved classic yeah yes having rudolph typed into google search one of the results is rudolph giuliani former mayor of new york city the former mayor of america <laughs> name another mayor you can't <laughs> uh Mayor Dimmledome. Mayor Pete. Mayor Dimmledome, owner of the Dig Sale Dimmledome. Was she the mayor? No, I don't think so. I don't know. I never was allowed to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nate thinks that Jimmy Neutron is more iconic. It's it's certainly better. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, moving on to things I was allowed to watch, we have the 1966. Uh, Thanksgiving-ish special, The Ballad of Smokey the Bear. After the slow success of Rudolph, which, by the way, Rudolph, when it was first aired on TV, wasn't, like, particularly doing too hot in the ratings. Like, I think it was just not well announced. Uh, it took two, three years of repeats for, like, it to become this thing where Rankin Bass was like, oh, we need to be making one of these animated specials annually, rather. The slow success of Rudolph, the United States Forest Services commissioned a Thanksgiving-timed animated TV movie as a part of the General Electric Fantasy Hour on NBC. The story is told by Smokey's old, older brother, voiced by James Cagney, who narrates the origin story of Smokey the Bear, which apparently involves a gang of woodland critters being tormented by a gorilla that escaped from the zoo. The gorilla has pyromaniac tendencies and sets a cabin on fire, and Smokey, as a wee little cub in a big hat, puts out the fire and takes the gorilla back to the zoo. The gang of whittling critters just watch this unfold. It's, it's really fucking boring, guys. Uh, there's not really much to say about this. Uh, Why is there a Thanksgiving special commissioned by the armed forces starring Smokey the Bear? No, the United States Forest Services. Oh, the Forest Services. I thought you said the Forest Services, and I was like, that's a weird way to say that. <laughs> Who wins in a fight, Smokey the Bear or Cool Cat? Um... If Cool Cat is stopping a school shooting, then Cool Cat. But if he's not, then Smokey the Bear. If Cool Cat sneaks up on Smokey, then Cool Cat. But if they, like, see each other from 10 paces and then engage in a fight, it's going to be Smokey. It's definitely Smokey. Yeah, Smokey's kind of a Chad. But this movie sounds like it sucks. Um, This sounds a little unwatchable to me. I would say I would say unwatchable, but his name is Smokey. You got to lay off the weed, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can prevent. And wildfires this is like bad government weed too like the, the parks department was like hey let's put something together for thanksgiving this is some mk ultra shit all right who's ready for another problematic thanksgiving special <laughs> every uh -oh. thanksgiving special the mouse on the mayflower the 1968 thanksgiving television classic a church mouse named Willem sneaks aboard the famous ship called the Mayflower, 
which is trapped amongst a huge storm. Then Willem the Pilgrim Mouse and also the narrator of this story single-handedly save the sinking ship. The Pilgrims land safely in Plymouth and begin constructing the Mayflower Compact. However, the dumbass Pilgrims left really late in the year and it's like November and they're all about to die of starvation and or inclement weather. So then the Pilgrims are taught by the Indians to plant crops during the spring season and celebrate a big feast toward the onset of the following autumn season or fall. This is their first Thanksgiving celebration. They celebrate with the natives who are all good and peaceful, except for, of course, the one bad apple of the bunch. So there is actually a, a Native American fight scene in this as well. Ooh. I, um, you know what? Thanksgiving as a holiday, just in general, is too problematic for me. This shit's unwatchable. <laughs> I would say this is boomer food. But that seems too high up on the tier list. I feel like boomers have higher standards than this film. <laughs> it's not too much higher, but I feel like there has to be like you could see how somebody would enjoy this. It just doesn't really connect anymore. I will say this is a wildly more entertaining Thanksgiving spe special than the Smokey the Bear one. <laughs> like in terms of sheer entertainment value. Is it as much of a meme as the Smokey the Bear one? Uh, I remember actually we watched this in school when I was in second grade. I've seen I I think I have also seen this a single time, and I consider it unwatchable still. The animation is really bad. Uh, it was the first of these that was 2D animated by Rankin Bass, and it really shows the coloring is it looks like shit. I like the uh, the Ken Burns effect in like the middle where they show like the action scenes. All right, so we're we're saying unwatchable. Yeah, it's probably the best like Thanksgiving. Uh, interpretation is the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, because it doesn't try to tell any of that like origin shit. It's simply like Charlie Brown and his homies making dinner. <laughs> Every time anybody tries to tell the Thanksgiving story, it's always like a little sus. So Every Thanksgiving, they air the um, the first one, which is Charlie and his homies making popcorn for Thanksgiving dinner. And then the next one is a Mayflower one where they all play pilgrims and shit. Was that a dog? Yeah, you want to hear more? It's Alden's mom. I just, we get there when we get there in a little bit. Uh, I saw on the recommended on the Thanksgiving video, The Legend of Frosty the Snowman from 2005. Ooh, it's not on this list, so we won't get there. Fuck. Not made by Rankin Bass, commissioned by Cartoon Network. I actually like it. <laughs> so a month after the mouse on the Mayflower, The Little Drummer Boy came out in 1968. Fuck this movie. I, I kind of agree, but there's, there's a sequel that's way worse on this joy's playing the drums his only friends are samson the donkey joshua the camel and baba the lamb the movie starts with a flashback to when Eric before him kind of like a circus in like 2000 year old jerusalem and because his drumming can make his animal friends dance he's the star of the show uh everyone is so fucking excited to see this little attention uh and coins and flowers at him and they're like this dude's lit and he retaliates and calls them all thieves and knaves fucking hates people and then his next stop is in jerusalem where baba the lamb gets fucking rko'd by a roman chariot uh aaron tries taking the dying lamb to see a doctor and the dude says the, the lamb is dead and he should go see the, the child instead and then aaron goes and sees baby yoda chilling in a manger 
and he brings the he sees grogu we'll get there when we get there then aaron goes and sees baby yoda in a manager and the child brings the lamb back to life and so uh, to say thanks aaron plays his drum for him and then it's assumed that aaron no longer hates everyone after his after this baby resurrects a lamb. And then it's fully confirmed that Aaron was actually the Antichrist the entire time. Uh, yeah, so I fucking hate this special. <laughs> I also do. Did you also uh, watch this in Catholic school? No, I didn't go to Catholic school because my parents were Methodist. I'm sure if you went to Catholic school, you would have been forced into a gymnasium with all of the other uh, prepubescent children and forced to sit through this propaganda piece but it's fucking awful i hate it damn i think my catholic school was based i did not watch this in school i think i watched you know what i did watch in church what i watched the passion of the christ when i was like 12 holy shit (laughs) (laughs) i was like bro for sunday school that week we had to bring in signed permission slips I was like, this is lit. Wait, so your parents can't let you watch Spongebob, but let's go watch The Passion of the Christ. It's pretty based. It's pretty hardcore for a little kid, but... No, it wasn't my first R-rated movie. That's a lie. I saw Robocop like a few months before Passion of the Christ. (laughs) It went Robocop. I would argue that Robocop is the better Christ story. (laughs) I agree. Was your like first rated R trilogy, Robocop, Passion, and then Blade Runner? No. I know I caught part of Requiem for a Dream on TV once, and that fucked me up. As it would. Was it the double-ended dildo part? Yeah. Ass to ass! (laughs) It was like the last like half hour of uh, Requiem for a Dream. That is not the part you should show a 12-year-old. No, it's not. So how do we feel about the little drummer boy? Fuck this movie. It's unwatchable. If we had a tier below unwatchable that was like sent to the bowels of hell, like that's where this movie belongs. I would have just said at the bottom of like Boomer Food. Lump of coal tier. Lump of coal. The little drummer boy's there. So the big reason why I don't like this special is like, I think it's cool if they try to tell like, you know, like bible stories around the christmas like holiday i think that's probably overall better than oh it's the santa movie again or something like that but my biggest problem with this is that like it just extends the little drummer boy song into a narrative that kind of ruins the spirit of christmas it's like why the fuck is a newborn baby resurrecting things? Like, I get it's Jesus, but like, I don't remember the part in the Bible where some little fucking kid with a drum shows up and is like, resurrect my lamb, you fucking infant. I know you're only three hours old, but I am a selfish Jew who needs my lamb resurrected. No, no, no. That was the George Lucas rewrite. The part of the Bible where Jesus is birthed and immediately says, where's my snare? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as far as specials based on uh, songs, uh, Christmas songs, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is like triple S tier. We'll get there next week. I feel like Kanye really likes this movie. I think Kanye relates. Up next, another classic. We've got Frosty the Snowman, the 2D animated 1969 special. Perhaps the second most iconic film on this list. Who knows? It might be more iconic than Rudolph. Frosty the Snowman is the story of a bunch of school kids that put a magical hat on a snowman and he is brought to life. What you may not know about this film is that Rankin and Bass wanted it to wanted this film to look to be 2D animated to better mimic the look of a holiday card. So they hired Paul Coker Jr., a cartoonist for Mad Magazine and greeting card ma- uh, maker. Hmm. Yeah, you can tell that there was a big step up in animation quality from this first Frosty the Snowman special to the fucking 
the mouse on the Mayflower bullshit. Um, it doesn't look great by today's standards, but it's definitely aged a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is one of like the timeless movies that I mean, you could show any generation of kids and they will watch. And it's a really good theme. Um, What's the theme? Magic is real and Christmas is real. What I like about Frosty is it's like a non-denominational holiday. It's like it's just winter time. Except when he says, I'll be back on Christmas Day, which he doesn't actually say in this. They just put that in the song. He says, I'll be back again someday, which is like the original version of the song. Well, I mean, Santa's in this, isn't he? Well, fuck. It's not a non-denominational. Fuck this movie. Boo, Frosty sucks. They just picked the best winter holiday. And who could blame them? Um, none of these movies are about Hanukkah, sir. Yeah, according to my Jewish friends, that holiday isn't even the best winter holiday either. It's not even the best Jewish winter holiday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember distinctly one time when I was in school, I asked uh, a Jewish kid in my class, I was like, uh, hey, how was your Hanukkah? He was like, it was okay. It wasn't as good as Christmas, though. Yeah, I think the the villain that tries to seal his hat is a big old meme. Do you like that the, the short is relatively, like, self-contained in a way? It doesn't, like, it doesn't, like, it's not like this big epic quest. Like, I feel like a lot of these movies are. It's just like, oh, here's a, f- like, two-minute song that we're going to stretch into, like, a 35-minute movie. Yeah, the kids play with Frosty, and then he, he turns... Like comes to life and then someone tries to take his hat and then special's over he's gonna go to the north pole of santa and chill deserved classic certified classic yeah there it is nothing has gotten between like unwatchable and probably all right including Smokey, which we just put there for the meme <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on to santa claus is coming to town the 1970 stop motion classic the animated origin story of Santa Claus, voiced by Mickey Rooney. He voices Chris Kringle as we see him in his young spirit, giving and good nature as a boy. Uh, he then turns into the mythos uh, of the first ever Christmas when Burgermeister bans toys in Sombertown. We also meet Miss Jessica, who becomes Chris's love interest, and soon uh, Mrs. Claus. I think this is probably one of the best ones. I fact, I think this is better than both Rudolph and Frosty. Yeah, I agree. I love this movie. This is like my headcanon for like Santa Claus. I mean, come on. There's a character called Burgermeister. Just put one foot in front of the other. That song's a banger. It's so good. I'm surprised we don't hear that song like on Christmas radio stations. Like it's it's actually good. And it's like an optimistic song about like, you know, progressing on and, and not like fucking being a depressed person. Like it's it's important. The Heat Miser and Ice Miser songs also are in that tier for me, and we never hear them outside of the movie. Yeah, it's so weird that they, like when I was a kid, I always thought that the Heat Miser and Snow Miser were in this movie, and then I was like, oh no, it's the sequel. They're not in the origin story. They're in the follow-up. <laughs> the 2005 DVD release included a CD single of Mariah Carey performing the title song. Ew. <laughs> How the story is told, it, like kind of like uh, Rudolph and frosty it has like an omnipotent like narrator character that like kind of finds his way into the story like you have like the the bluesy snowman guy in the rudolph movie um but in in uh santa claus is coming to town it's like just fred astaire as a mailman which is kind of lit he's kind of like the nick fury of this cinematic universe as we'll find out later 
he's kind of been like low-key assembling all the troops i really like um something that stands out vividly in my memory about this movie is the scene where he's sliding with the seals and they teach him how to go ho 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 yes <laughs> yeah solo a star wars story is this generation's uh <laughs> santa claus is coming to town i hope so because that means that it gets a sequel that's also kino <laughs> so this is getting a spot at the top of deserved classics for now um yeah yeah definitely three kings up there the uh 1971 uh film here comes peter cottontail uh this one is 2d animate wait no this one is uh stop motion animated um we're gonna find out later as this list continues there's a lot of attempts to try to make a here comes santa claus attempt on the easter bunny uh in fact there are three attempts at this on this list Ew. I was just going to ask, isn't Easter your favorite holiday? Favorite religious holiday. Yes, yes, specifically religious holiday. The the Easter bunny is a shit tier, like, holiday mascot. Yeah, Halloween and, like, uh, New Year's are definitely, like, better actual holidays. But, like, religious holidays and, like, the context behind the reason we celebrate, yeah, Easter fucking wins. Anyway, this doesn't win. This fucking blows. Here comes Peter Cottontail, the original Easter bunny, Cornel wellington b bunny uh names peter cottontail to be his replacement who is completely incompetent boastful and a lying deceit deceitful bunny despite these negative traits all the other rabbits just are chill with the fact that peter cottontail gets the nom uh except one january q iron tail an evil reclusive bunny who lives in a tree with a sidekick montrezor the bat uh he wants to ruin easter for all because uh, his tragic backstory involves losing a tail in a roller skating accident as a child. I wish I was fucking making this up. I'm not. Uh, Wellington B. Bunny allows the next Easter Bunny to be determined via a face-off to see who can deliver more eggs. Wait a second, wait a second. So are you telling me that the Easter Bunny has the same hierarchy as Black Panther? Yes, ac actually, th this is this is Black Panther uh, before Black Panther. This is the Black Panther of the Rankin-Bass cinematic universe. Uh, the Killmonger looks exactly like this universe's Waluigi. <laughs> yeah, Peter Cottontail decides to take a nap and accidentally sleeps through his alarms. He, he essentially pulls a jury. Yeah. Uh, he wakes up too late and... Uh, Iron Tail wins by only delivering one egg to a homeless person. <laughs> As the new Easter Bunny, he sets new laws, including but not limited to painting all Easter eggs brown and gray. All chocolate bunnies had to be turned into tr into tarantulas. Holy shit! He created an ethno state. Yeah, and all Easter baskets are now Easter galoshes. Nice, jeez. Peter Cottontail then wins by giving out Easter eggs on every other holiday. Uh, he like goes to like the Fourth of July and starts handing out Easter eggs, and then he ruins Christmas for a year by giving everyone uh, Easter eggs, and he like ruins St. Patrick's Day. Essentially, Peter Cottontail is a fucking garbage human being, or, or I guess rabbit in this case, who is completely incompetent, lost his trial, and uh, took a nap, and then just decides if he can't have the holiday, he's gonna ruin every other holiday by like spreading easter joy on christmas which is just fucked up and by doing so 
He ruins every other holiday and everyone is just like, please make this guy the Easter Bunny so we can start celebrating other holidays again. They, they give Peter Cottontail the role of Easter Bunny and then he leads a parade and Iron Tail gets fired. This is how Peter Cottontail became the Easter Bunny. I think I've seen this special. Movies where the villain wins. Fuck Peter Cottontail. This dude's terrible. Yeah, fuck Peter Cottontail. Fuck uh, the commercialized version of Easter. And fuck this special. I, I am kind of interested in watching this movie. I don't have any expectation that it's going to be good. I think it's missing like the high fantasy elements that some of these weirder movies have to be like lay off the weed besides the smoky one. This sounds like a proto um, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, if it was like, oh, this is like something that they focus on for more than like a montage then I'd be like, oh, this is a cool idea. But no, he literally just like in one foul swoop just fucks up every other holiday and everyone hates him and it takes up like a minute of the movie. I don't think it's probably all right. It's it's not. So let's go with Boomer Food. All right, here comes a very, very, very weird television special called The Enchanted World of Danny Kay, The Emperor's New Clothes, 1972. Hmm. Um, this really odd Rankin-Bass special does not fall for any particular holiday but it tries to use then star actor danny k who voiced peter cottontail in here comes peter cottontail the year before and who starred in a musical biopic about hans christian anderson this special was another hans christian anderson tale called the emperor's new clothes being retold with the traditional animagic stop motion animation and it also had five of, uh, additional musical numbers that played throughout the special. Uh, there is no like Wikipedia page for this special. I had to watch it in order to get a plot synopsis. Uh, it's extremely bare bones. It's like a 10 minute story that they stretched out into like 25 and then just added musical numbers to make it special length instead of just like an episode of something. Uh, it's about a group of trickster kids who fool an emperor into paying for a suit that doesn't exist. Uh, you can only see the suit if you're educated. So the emperor pretends that he can see it so he doesn't look stupid. And then he exposes himself to his educated counsel because he wears his new suit that isn't actually a suit. It's nothing. The kids then shoot their gold payment to the streets of impoverished and poor citizens and redistrib redistribute the emperor's wealth. Uh, one of the pranksters marries the king's daughter, Jane, and that's literally the end of the story. How do we feel about the enchanted world of Danny Kay, the emperor's new clothes? Uh, you know what? This one might probably be all right. Like, it's not bad. It doesn't strike me as what the fuck like everything else has. Yeah, it sounds like kind of a mess, but I think probably all right does sound accurate. I like the theming of like exposing corrupt politicians and redistributing their wealth yeah and apparently it's resonated a lot with the anti-trump crowd uh recently if you just search the emperor's new clothes you'll find about and hit images you'll find about 40 images of like trump caricatures that are just naked it's kind of fucked but apparently these are getting published somewhere interesting boomers are wild it's based on like a folk tale so i'm sure they're not referring to this movie but yeah no 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 no. they're referring to the hans christian anderson tale you know the stuff that like disney made an entire like living off of because they were public domain and then they changed the way copyright law exists so that way their own stories could never be public domain and they keep uh delaying like the age like limit right or the age 
the max. So now we're going to face a reality where probably nothing will become public domain ever again. <laughs> but that's not going to stop me from loosely using any images I find on Google Images in my videos. Me neither. We're nowhere near big enough to worry about it. We can make a Peter Pan movie starring Nate. We can make a Sherlock Holmes movie. I think it's definitely watchable by the sound of I it. I feel like I don't want to sit this next to fucking like Black Panther <laughs> Easter Bunny. <laughs> I feel like it's not boomer food. It's yeah, I'm not feeling boomer food from it. Yeah, boomers are turned off by the uh, theming of redistributing wealth significantly. So yeah, maybe we need to tell whoever thought Danny Kay was still marketable to lay off the weed. I think we can leave it in probably all right for now. Uh, we we can come back to come back to it later. All right. Speaking of things that probably aren't all right, we're moving on to the 1972 animated uh 2d animated mad 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 monster after frankenstein creates a bride for his monster he makes amenities for their wedding at the transylvania astoria hotel many monsters are invited to the wedding including count dracula his son boobula and boobula's pet black cat boobula ron chanley the werewolf the mummy the creature Claude, the invisible man, his invisible wife, Nagatha, his invisible son, Ghoul, and Ghoul's invisible dog, Goblin. Then Igor tries stealing the bride and is stopped by a giant gorilla named Modzula. The hotel bellhop Harvey is revealed to have been hallucinating the entire story, recalling it to his therapist, Dr. Jekyll. Holy shit. His therapist then transforms into Mr. Hyde and all the monsters start chasing Harvey as the credits roll. I do think that Hotel Transylvania is probably all right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. It, in fact, no, it, it's extremely weird. It reminded me of that uh, Scooby-Doo spinoff special where Shaggy with a red shirt and Scooby go to that like, um, is it a hotel or house full of like... Um, monster girls or something uh scooby-doo's ghoul school or some shit like that something like that they're like teachers yeah i liked that i did like that too but shaggy with a red shirt not a fan i don't remember that yeah shaggy had the red shirt when scrappy was with the gang it was it was literally a red flag <laughs> <laughs> like daphne velma weren't there fred wasn't there it was just shaggy two dogs one that was extremely annoying and then like in that universe the monsters like actually existed and then after that series there was another spin-off series where daphne did come back but she was the only one that came back so then it was shaggy Daphne, Scooby, and Scrappy. Wild. Underrated era. It sounds like the worst era. They actually hit their stride quite a bit because then Fred and Velma would also come back from episode to episode. Like, it was like a special thing, though. And it was like, oh, like, what are you guys doing with your lives? It's like it's like us now. It's like the scene in the, uh, the Scooby-Doo movie, the live action one from 2002, where Fred and Velma are walking through the airport and Fred's talking about his book and Velma's talking about working at NASA. It's like exactly that vibe whenever they come back well it sounds probably all right judging by our scooby scooby-doo anecdote i don't know scooby-doo made like the monsters and stuff seem cool or at least interesting i don't know i like these these are all just like wedding guests and then they get triggered at the hotel staff and chase him <laughs> is it boomer food then <laughs> actually yes it is yeah sounds like a boomer move is this us at nick's wedding in a couple months only two of us got wedding invites to that i think so <laughs> yes are jory and alden gonna crash nick's wedding not if you use a not if we're your plus ones 
That's true. Uh, that's true. Megan does not want to go to fucking I- Indianapolis. <laughs> Megan ain't going. <laughs> Moving on to another uh, another well-known holiday special, The Year Without Santa Claus. Oh, hell yeah. The Year Without Santa Claus starts off with Santa having a cold. His narcissistic doctor thinks he should give up because no one believes in him anymore and he should focus on his own health. Mrs. Claus, after failing to tell Santa how important it is for him to do his job, sends two slapstick elves, Jingle and Jangle, along with Reindeer Vixen to find proof that people still believe in Santa. They start in the deep south of the continental United States. I think they just, they they started off wrong from the fucking beginning. You're going to try to find proof of Santa Claus and you go to fucking Montgomery, Alabama? Like, what were you thinking? Anyway, they find a neck-bearded Redditor named Iggy and ask him if he believes in Santa. Like all Redditors, he is very skeptical. Vixen is then taken to the dog pound. The mayor, who somehow has jurisdiction over the dog pound, then promises to release Vixen if Jingle and Jangle can make it snow in Southtown. Literally, the name of the town they're in is Southtown. Oh my god. On Christmas. Santa Claus then goes undercover as Klaus to rescue Vixen from the Southtown dog pound, and Iggy's father remembers the Christmas he met Santa. The bumbling elves then visit the snow miser. Oh, sorry, Josh, were you going to say something comedic? I just saw I just saw a comment from like the 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 full movie that's on YouTube, and or and then it said the dog said all that negative stuff. Then he just going to say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Fuck you, buddy. Merry Christmas. The bumbling elves then visit the snow miser to see if he'll make it to Snowtown. He says he would love to, but it's property of the heat miser. So then they visit the heat miser, who says he'll trade Southtown for the North Pole on Christmas Day. Then the heat miser and snow miser start feuding again. Then Mrs. Claus goes full boss bitch and, and talks to the miser's mother, Mother Nature, who clears up the argument. Oh my god. As news of Santa missing Christmas ray rises wow i misspelled rises i love that for me children from all over start sending gifts to santa but one little girl cries saying she'll have a blue christmas without santa the crying of this one little girl changes santa's whole perspective on the situation and on christmas eve he decides last minute to forfeit his own health and continue selflessly giving to every child of the world christmas morning mr and mrs claus Remember the holidays of yesteryear, and then Santa says he could never imagine a year without Santa Claus. This is truly the dark night of Christmas specials. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you name a more perfect trilogy? Um, I don't think it's as good as the first one, honestly. I think uh, really? Santa Claus is Coming to Town is better. It's more balanced than the year without Santa Claus, in my opinion. I agree, but I feel like there's so much iconic shit in you're without a santa claus and that blue christmas like uh cover i know it's cheesy but like it gets me i loved that even when i was a kid like i was like no santa has to come this year do you think sand's coming 2020 yes he is no he's immune to coronavirus no this this is 2020 like santa's got covid19 in this special Yeah, COVID is going to get all the children of the earth coronavirus. <laughs> so this has huge boomer food vibes. Agreed. Just in terms of the theming. Hell no. This this is a deserved classic. Compromise your health for the children of the earth. Business is more important than your body. Absolutely. <laughs>
Only when it's uh, Christmas. A very libertarian Christmas. <laughs> yeah, Nate, you should love this shit. What the hell? No, there's, there's, believe it or not, there's more libertarian leaning Christmas movies yet to go. Oh, I'm sure there are. Now, now, Doctor. Uh, I think I've only seen this one once, like over a decade ago. <laughs> what? Believe it or not, one of the films that is in the 25 Days of Christmas on Freeform, I've only seen once. But he's Mr. White Christmas. He's Mr. Snow. He's Mr. Snow. Alden, have, how many times have you seen uh, Batman and Robin? Uh, a, a handful. So you've seen Batman and Robin more than you've seen the movie that one of the biggest memes from it is from. Likely. Sing! Sorry. Are we in agreement besides Alden who thinks this is another deserved classic? No, I think it's another deserved classic. Yeah, no, besides me. I... I can't argue too hard for it not to be there i'm just saying it's got the vibes i think for now it's got to go at the end of deserve classics though i think it can at least go above frosty agreed uh i like the characters in this way more than i like any of the unnamed children in frosty's animated thing that's true it's all right you got me there like i mean like think about it just like original characters in a holiday special you don't get better than heat miser and snow miser and you also got you got mother nature you got jingle and jangle you got vixen you got like this ensemble of great characters this is truly expanding the lore of the rank and bass cinematic universe there's a lot of 2020 Wait, there's a lot of 2020 elements in this movie. You got Santa's got COVID-19. You got Biden and Trump debating. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this can't be boomer food. It's too topical. (laughs) Maybe I overstated it a little bit when I said it's the dark night of these Christmas specials. It's probably the dark night rises. I think I could agree with that. Just wait for uh, Santa Claus is coming to town. Up next, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Uh, This is a 1974 2D animated Rankin-Bass holiday special around the turn of the 20th century santa is offended by an anonymous letter published in a newspaper saying that santa doesn't exist a mouse assistant to the clockmaster josh trundle in a very ratatouille-esque way father mouse suspects his nerdy rat son albert is behind this article so essentially there's like this parallel families uh has anyone seen this special besides me i there's this like clockmaker and then his kids and his wife and then there's like this little mouse father and like his wife and their kids and like the little rat is like the assistant at this like clock repair shop it's very fucking weird they're like business partners but like he just lives in like a hole in the wall literally i'm pretty sure i have seen it i think we need to lay off the weed i have not seen this (laughs) yeah (laughs) i actually think this sounds probably all right anyway father mouse and the trundle family plot a way to alert santa that they actually don't deny his existence by rigging their clock tower to play a song dedicated to him. Albert, the atheist mouse asshole from earlier, who wrote the anonymous letter saying that Santa doesn't doesn't exist, who already potentially ruined Christmas for his whole town once, decides to sneak into the clock tower again to see how the contraption works and how it's going to play a song for Santa on Christmas Eve. He breaks the entire fucking thing. He ruins Christmas for like the second time in a span of 24 hours. Joshua, the clock repair guy, isn't allowed to go fix it because the mayor, again, what is it with these corrupt politicians and these Rankin-Bass specials? The mayor is so embarrassed with the display and bans admission to the clock tower. Why is there... (laughs) Albert, the fucking atheist asshole mouse, then sneaks back into the clock tower and makes 
the fixes needed to a a to the clock exactly one minute after midnight. So then Santa gets untriggered, removes the log from his ass, turns the sleigh around, and then fills all the kids' stockings with presents, like literally last minute. In fact, it was it was a full sale assignment that Albert the Atheist Mouse turned in at 1201 and the teacher still accepted it. <laughs> the story of a full sale student. You know, uh, I think this movie is probably all right because I'm looking at some clips from it and it prominently features a whole black family in this town, which for 1974 i didn't expect so how bad could it really be well it takes place at the turn of the 20th century so they were probably indentured servants (laughs) they were probably a little less than indentured servants if we want to be real but i like that they're there this special used to be on a lot i remember watching it a lot there's a really good song in it despite uh most of these usually not i mean like obviously the the 3d stop motion the deserved classics have pretty iconic music in there but there's the uh, even a miracle needs a hand, low key a Christmas banger. But then they like reuse the reprise of it like twelve times. Like anytime someone's fixing a clock, they use that song in this, and then they just you get sick of the song by the end of the movie. So I don't know. I think this is personally boomer food. I don't like the way that Santa acts in this special, where he's like triggered and then is like, "Fuck you guys! I'm not serving your town." because one person's like fuck santa all my homies hate santa you know when you put it that way yeah this is boomer food santa is the ultimate boomer in this special santa's just a karen in this special i will say it's probably better than the other two things we currently have in boomer food yeah okay i'm okay with this being at the top of boomer food what do you think josh it's not as uh, problematic as the other two. <laughs> <laughs> What's problematic about a monster wedding, Josh? What, uh, you think they shouldn't get married? <laughs> Josh, the only thing problematic about that is your attitude towards it. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, how does Elliot Page make you feel? <laughs> I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Josh, what did you think of Juno, a story of two game <laughs> So, so now we need to get Josh a shirt that says, I'm not transphobic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> With a picture of Elliot Page. And the font is like rainbow colors. It's a picture of Elliot Page on that talk show where he says, I've been doing a lot of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's ready for probably one of the worst specials on this entire thing? Oh, bet. The First Christmas, 1975. In the horribly misleading title production, a young shepherd named Lucas gets blinded by a bolt of lightning while protesting while protecting his flock of sheep some nuns then decide to rescue him and take him to a stable sister Teresa then describes what snow is to Lucas who has never seen it and probably never will because now he's fucking blind Lucas then gets guilted into being a part of the church's Christmas pageant where he gets cast as an angel while performing in the pageant it snows and a small miracle happens I'm not sure if that means Lucas gets his vision back but in my head canon that's what happened and then the characters saying white christmas that's it it was that's the whole plot okay well i'm just gonna slap it into unwatchable did they like run out of money or something uh it's it's about 32 minutes long um feels like uh, in the middle of vice when the credits started rolling and then lucas never saw again seven or eight songs and i mean i like that i just read you the whole plot literally yeah no there's really not much going on here uh this like little orphan shepherd boy is like herding his sheep and then some like wolves try to attack him and his sheep and then a thunderstorm comes and scares away the wolves but then it also makes him blind 
And then so there's like this little blind orphan in a field and then a bunch of nuns debate if they should save him or not, which is kind of fucked. Um, and, and like the nice ones, like, yeah, we definitely should save this child. And then like he's just there getting like nursed back to health with like a bunch of nuns. And then they're like putting on a Christmas pageant. And he's like, oh, I don't really know if I want to be a part of this. And they're like, well, we just nursed you back to health. So you better be a part of this. <laughs> um, it's kind of it kind of paints the Catholic Church in a negative light. If it were made today by like an art house director, this could be like Christmas Kino. <laughs> You're right, actually. <laughs> like this, so this sounds like Oscar bait. <laughs> And I would watch it. This sounds like A24's first Christmas movie. <laughs> I would watch the shit out of this. It's about like religious corruption in the Catholic Church, even on the smallest of levels. This is like doubt meets miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> Who are we casting in this A24 live action remake? Timothy Chalamet. Yes, Lucas is played by Timothy Chalamet. And Sister, Sister Teresa is... Mm, Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> okay. I like that. Good choice. <laughs> Me too. The old nun is like fucking Francis McDormand or some shit. Yes. Yes. Exactly who I was thinking as like the bitchier nun. Yeah. I'd watch this. Yeah. This is kind of Kino. Let's, uh, let's write up like a perspective script real quick <laughs> and submit it to A24 because like I think we're on to something. Is Ari, is Ari Aster directing it? No. <laughs> Nate Martin is directing it. This movie came out the day my dad was born oh fuck i just changed the color of boomer food <laughs> what if it was purple what if it was purple it's big hairy and pink <laughs> and this category is gonna be a24 please remake yes <laughs> not centered starring adam sandler as lucas I love that. I love that new tier. Good work, everyone. So when I looked this movie up on YouTube, why does Warner Brothers have like up to date like trailers for it? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> like like posted like eight years ago, which is relatively old as far as like new shit is concerned. But like this movie came out in the 70s. December 19th, 1975. So they actually got some backlash from this movie because they named it the first Christmas. Uh, and it has literally nothing to do with the birth of Christ. So then they renamed it. It's like the first Christmas, the story of the first Christmas with snow or some shit. Yeah, the story of the first Christmas snow. Uh, yeah, and the reason it's called the first Christmas is because the pageant that the Catholic Church is putting on is like a Christmas pageant, you know, like a, a very traditional story of of Jesus being born and he gets cast as an angel and has to watch snowfall as Jesus. Like they literally casted the one blind guy as the person who just watches over everything. <laughs> what would the title of the A24 remake be? Because my money right now is just on nativity. That That's kind of the same problem where it implies that it's going to be like a biblical story. I feel like for an art house movie, that's fine though. Like, they do that all the time. I think it's going to be something, like, more kind of, like... Like, esoteric. Yeah. Lamb in the snow or some shit. <laughs> I see one of the comments of one of those, like, trailers that came out eight years ago. This one I find very underrated from the Rankin-Bass collection. <laughs> <laughs> this is so creepy is the next one. <laughs> it's low-key better than The Little Drummer Boy. I always used to get them confused because they pretty much used the same character model for the, the blind kid and the little drummer boy. <laughs> yeah, they do. He's in the same fucking clothes. 
It's like uh, Jesus Christ as a baby, like teleports the little drummer boy into this story, <laughs> so he can be blinded. So he can be blinded and like almost eaten by wolves. To speak of the devil, guess who's back? Uh oh, the devil. The little drummer boy book two, the year after, nineteen seventy six. The much-anticipated sequel to The Little Drummer Boy is just as lame and depressing as it sounds. Aaron, the orphan Jewish boy that used to hate everyone, expresses his joy for humanity after playing his drum for the magical force baby Grogu. He floods the streets with his joyous music he played for the baby for, like, months and months after the event. People give him small donations, like the homeless guy playing saxophone at the Herald Square subway station. And he gives it back to the orphanage to help other disenfranchised youth like himself. But then the Roman tax collectors show up, piss off all the other Jewish members of the community, and take Aaron's drum and sticks and burn them for not paying taxes. This is a surprisingly libertarian take on the Christmas story, and I think it is supposed to represent the persecution of early Christians and the Jewish people, but doesn't really commit to anything drastic. The movie ends kind of like The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, the good one, the animated one, not the god-awful Ron Howard movie starring Jim Carrey, where all the Who's sing a happy song and their problems get solved. But this ends with the music of bells and drums echoing through the street and lifting everyone's spirits. I kind of want to put this higher than the first one just because at one point he gets his drums and stakes burned. (laughs) (laughs) It's like catharsis. Um, Surprisingly... I think this might be better than the first one. I'm perfectly fine with this going in unwatchable. (laughs) It's a lot more violent. Like the Romans, the way they're portrayed in this are like actually like low key pillaging this village and like just burning people's possessions if they don't pay a tax. It's uh, this is like the the watership down of this ranking. I would say, uh, yeah, I guess I guess it doesn't deserve to be in the lump of cult here like the original. Maybe unwatchable. <laughs> you know what You know what else happened in 1968? What? Martin Luther King was shot, and I'm trying to find a connection. <laughs> <laughs> the original little drummer boy and... And, <laughs> and Martin Luther King's assassination. And Martin Luther King's assassination. <laughs> yes. Do you think Martin Luther King came out of a theater and he was like, wow, that movie was really great, and somebody just standing next to him just whipped a gun out and shot him i believe there are multiple gunmen jory but you know if that's what you believe everybody who walked out of that theater shot him. <laughs> you think this movie had a theatrical debut jory maybe you should be shot everybody who heard him in his house watching it the fbi who's been tapping his phone <laughs> j edgar hoover comes down said sir the little drummer boy was dog shit damn will smith and hugh jackman were born that year is it better or worse than the mouse on the mayflower let's say better because of the romans better because there are less atrocities that's true that's true they don't try to paint the romans as like nice guys and then say that they're all good people except the one who's a bad apple so we must genocide all of them like they do in mouse on the mayflower is there a point in mouse on the mayflower where any of the pilgrims are like let's sneeze on them (laughs) let's give them our smallpox (laughs) hey let's give them a blanket that's contaminated with our old world diseases speaking of uh thanksgiving specials i just watched like this morning like the uh the thanksgiving episode 
episode of, uh, or no, the Columbus Day episode of The Sopranos, <laughs> where all the Italians are pissed that the Native Americans hate Columbus. <laughs> Dude, that episode's hilarious. Oh, uh, when Silvio goes to the Native American thing and he's like, you know, this guy, like the guy from like the the native american with like the single tear rolling down his face he's like this guy's italian and they're like shit how did we not know this so uh you guys all remember frosty the snowman right how well do you remember f- the sequel frosty's winter wonderland oh boy well thankfully i wrote quite the synopsis for this one <laughs> the 1976 sequel frosty's winter wonderland after promising years ago that he'd be back again someday the certified hood classic frosty the snowman also got a sequel in the holiday season of 1976 jack frost peeks on the children playing with frosty and he gets jealous jack learns the magic of frosty's hat and decides he'll steal it so that way the children love him more despite having fun all day with the kids frosty becomes deeply lonely and depressed every night and starts crying the kids start bullying him for being a fucking incel, like the little drummer boy. But then they decide to help him and build him a snowman wife and name her Crystal. But she doesn't come to life like Frosty does. Then late, late that night, Frosty presents Crystal with a gift of love, a bouquet of flowers. And she comes to life with the signature phrase, happy birthday, just like Frosty once did. Then Jack Frost plans an assassination attempt and takes Frosty's hat off his head. (laughs) Frosty then goes back to his lifeless state, and then Crystal makes him a corsage and reanimates again. Frosty and Crystal then begin terrorizing the town, flaunting their wedding invitations. Then the clergyman, Parson Brown, the bigoted asshole, says he can't (laughs) marry the snow couple because they aren't quote-unquote real people. Kind of like how the Democratic Party viewed same-sex couples until 2014. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of like the Democratic Party viewed same-sex couples until they needed to cover something up. Parson Brown suggests that couples start their own religion and then manifest their own snowman parson to marry them, which to me seems more against the Bible than just marrying a pair of snow people, but go off, King. So then Frosty and Crystal build a second Parson out of snow, and Parson Brown puts a Bible in his hand, giving us perhaps the most overtly religious propaganda out of all of these films. A Parson's not a Parson until he's got a Bible in his hand. Jack then shows up and says he's going to ruin the wedding with a blizzard, and then Frosty's like, nah, be my best man instead. The special ends with the snow couple and Jack going honeymooning to the North Pole. They wish everyone a wonderful and frosty winter. I'm just left to assume that this whole special is a message about promoting polyamorous relationships. Oh, gross. Well, we know how we feel about Mormons here, so unwatchable. <laughs> I mean, I like I like the Mormon faith. I think it's pretty lit. I like Mormons. I don't like their faith. I, I, yeah, that's what I meant. I like Mormons. I kind of want to put this in lay off the weed. <laughs> yeah, me too, but it's like Mormon tier. But it also doesn't deserve to go in unwatchable. I guess that makes it boomer food. If it's boomer food, it's definitely the best of this boomer food. <laughs> Wait. Does A24 also need to remake this? I don't think so. I don't know. I'm getting some Bride of Frankenstein vibes here. Kind of. And I feel like, I don't know, we've been really overdue for like a good classic universal monster picture. 
even like an analog i feel like we haven't had in a good long yeah but this is about like snowmen getting married it has nothing to do with monsters yeah but it also has to do with uh snowmen like cloning uh members of like a community in order to suit their needs and to assimilate so they knew that their premise was running thin of like i feel like the art like the the writers were like okay we need to get frosty like a girlfriend slash wife so that way like we could sell more merchandise or whatever or like expand the lore a little bit at create new characters but then like that's not enough to make a whole special so then they're like okay well they fall in love and want to get married and then they're like okay well it's still 20 minutes too short uh oh i got it the fucking guy who's supposed to marry them is just a dickhead and is like no make your own priest and your own religion and then get married it's like, bro, what the fuck? I feel like it's very boomer foodie, but it could also be lay off the weed. I think this says a lot about uh, the artificial nature of our own existence and our desires and our faith and what we believe in and why we believe in what we do. I think that this could definitely be remade by A24. <laughs> can't stop, won't stop. I can't just not read into this shit now. Is A24 just going to remake a sequel to the Frosty, the original Frosty Christmas special? Yeah, why not? Who plays Frosty? Michael Keaton again. <laughs> now that he's like lost weight and whatever, John Goodman. Okay. This is finally his chance to get an Academy Award nomination. <laughs> Michael Chiklis kind of has a uh, snowman proportion. Oh, you're right. He does. <laughs> his head, just like his head and face, already looks like a snow. They just paint his face white. They don't even... <laughs> it's Michael Chiklis. It's Frosty the Snowman. John Goodman could be the the homophobic priest. <laughs> Alden, Alden, Josh, you guys want to weigh in on this? Do you guys have any objections? I think Jory sold me on this. <laughs> uh, yeah. I personally I don't want to see this remade as as remade as much as the first Christmas, so bottom of A24 please remake. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a less obvious choice. Like this is like a ghost story. <laughs> Where it's like on paper, it doesn't really look like much, but then you actually see it, you absorb it, and it's like, this was amazing. Okay, so do you guys remember how I said there are multiple attempts at giving us an Easter Bunny origin story on this list? Gross. Which thumbnail? Uh, the second one. <laughs> this is called The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town. I shit you not, they literally just tried to rip off the best movie on on this entire list and make it about Easter instead. Fred Astaire reprises his role as the mailman S.D. Kluger from the beginning of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Now this cool dude's got a train, and this fucker starts promoting pro propaganda that kids are mailing the Easter Bunny and asking him for new clothes and colored eggs, as well as wondering the origins of the Easter Bunny himself. So then S.D. Kluger sings the hit song... Easter Bunny is coming to town. It's the same song as Santa Claus is coming to town. I, I shit you not. They just changed some of the words. <laughs> the origin of Easter begins in a town called Kidville, run by a pack of wild orphans, including S.D. Kluger when he was a child. The orphans liked their plain and simple life, except when troubled by a mean bear named Gadzooks, who hates everything. One day, the kids find an orphaned bunny and name him Sonny because he likes to sit in the sun. Sonny becomes friends with some chickens named the Hendrew sisters. He offers them to help sell their eggs. Sonny goes to... I was just getting 
so whack. Sonny goes to sell some eggs, and a homeless guy named Hallelujah Jones says he should sell them. <laughs> <laughs> says he should sell them in a town called Town. On the way to Town Town, he climbs Big Rock Mountain and gets jumped by Gadzooks the Bear. Sonny gets to town, and it's dreary and sucks, and a crippled child king named Bruce the Frail takes the throne. Sonny hands out Easter eggs to everyone, and the king names him the Easter Bunny. In order to keep Easter interesting, the following year, Sonny the Easter Bunny then teams up with the homeless guy named Hallelujah Jones and some random baker who has not been yet introduced to the film to create the first ever jelly beans. Gadzooks gets pissed and chases Sonny to Kidville, and then the orphans make him clothes and he becomes nice because the bear has always just wanted clothes. The next Easter, Sonny and the baker need to make Easter interesting again and bake chocolate bunnies. And there is such a high demand for the Easter cheer that everyone piles onto SD Kluger's train and then they recreate the little engine that could every single year to deliver Easter presents on time. Truly a fantastic rags to riches tale. This could have been at the top of our music biopic list. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck this movie. If there was a layoff the shrooms tier. Yeah. <laughs> for now, I think that this is the first one that actually deserves to be in layoff the weed. I'm, I'm feeling the same way. It's literally like they were looking at the script to Santa Claus is coming to town. And then like some producer executive was like, we need an actual Easter bunny origin to make the mythos of Easter as exciting as Christmas. And then Rankin and Bass are just like leaning back in their armchairs in their office and they're, they're pulling drags of their reefer joints. And they're like, I've got it. We'll just change every line of this script to then be about Easter. And that's literally it. It's it's like a deep fry. This is like we were talking about it last week with the consoles being ranked and shit. This is like a, a YouTube poop before YouTube poop. <laughs> yeah, this is actually lay off the weed. I feel like these Rankin Bass specials are an untapped gold mine when it comes to YouTube poops. If only they were still popular. Well, still as popular as they were. Because they used to look at where we are. We've got uh what four that are actually deserved classics, and then like a bunch that no one in our generation has seen except like the only kids that were allowed to watch uh, public broadcasting. No, no, no. I mean YouTube poops. If YouTube poops were still popular. Oh, YouTube poops are great. I love. Them. There's still a ton made, but they don't have like the thirty thousand views that the previous ones did. Sweet. So we are moving along. The next entry, Nestor, the long-eared Christmas donkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I I don't know if you guys can tell. There's kind of like this pattern where uh, they kind of like Rankin and Bass are running out of ideas. So they're like, shit, we need to like remake movies that are already like successful so like santa claus coming to town oh the easter bunny's coming to town uh rudolph the red-nosed reindeer how about nestor the long-eared christmas donkey uh well that was like literally the take they had going into this in fact the opening narration uh is is like this uh like random other donkey that doesn't have long ears that is like you know the story of rudolph well this is the story of nestor like it's literally like trying so hard to be the next Rudolph. Here it goes. Set in the days of the Roman Empire, a long-eared donkey named Nestor gets bullied for having long ears. 
as the animals celebrate the winter solstice and Nestor's mom gives him saw to cover his big-ass ears. Then some Roman soldiers come... Wait, 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 wait. Gives him what? Socks. Oh, socks. Okay. What'd you think I said? I, I heard saw, and I was like, what? No, socks. Gives him saw. Gives him saw bad. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> All right. So Nestor gets some socks from his mom, covers up his ears with them, and then some Roman soldiers come and fuck shit up, kill a bunch of animals, including Nestor's mom, who sacrifices herself for him. Nestor's all sad and shit. It like it rips off ba- Bambi for like three minutes and he like runs around crying. And then an angel shows up and tells Nestor, your ears can do wondrous things no other ears can do. The sounds they hear will guide you on a path that's straight and true. And then you will save another as your mother once saved you. So then Nestor gets bought at a flea market by Mary and Joseph <laughs> because of his quote unquote kind eyes and because he was the only donkey on sale and they were flat broke. And on their way to Bethlehem, a sandstorm starts and only Nestor can navigate because he can hear good. He can hear so good that he's able to navigate in a sandstorm. Yeah, anyway, he gets them to the stable where baby Grogu was born to save all of mankind. (laughs) (laughs) So his, his ears are so good he can navigate through a sandstorm. So Mary can then give give birth to baby Grogu. <laughs> when are when are Nestor and the little drummer boy gonna show up in the Mandalorian? <laughs> Season three. Have you guys been watching the Mandalorian? No, I have not watched the last two now three episodes. I haven't watched the last three or now four episodes as well. I think it's the sixth one tonight. I haven't watched the last four now five episodes as well. Yeah, uh, Nestor. Josh, how do you personally feel after hearing the story of Nestor the long-eared Christmas donkey? Um, <laughs> I mean, look at him. Look at him. How does this make you feel? What a jackass. Nice. What a cursed image. I, I like the fact that it ripped off Bambi and Rudolph. Yes. And still sucks. I, okay, so <laughs> I think like they were kind of catching shit for not telling enough stories about... <laughs> about uh, like the actual like biblical implications behind Christmas. So then they were like, well, what if we do like Rudolph, but for the Bible, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, this does suck. I like that Santa is Asian in this movie. <laughs> They've already established the Santa Claus in this mythos, and he doesn't look like that. <laughs> Mickey Rooney voices Santa. And then they went with Mickey Rooney's Asian stereotype character from Breakfast at Tiffany's <laughs> and made him Santa. From Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> oh that's fucked jingle and jangle briefly show up in this as well so it does connect to the Rankin bass cinematic universe wow amazing you know i i can't hate nestor (laughs) i'm looking at this guy and like i can't hate him i think it's lay off the weed i think it's boomer food just because like it's just Rudolph, but more biblical. I just don't understand how the science works because he has big ears. He can hear through a sandstorm. <laughs> that one scene deserves to be in layoff the week. He has supersonic hearing. His ears. Are- I just feel like I, I just feel like, again, it was Rankin and Bass smoking a reefer in their office and like, OK, OK, so we're doing we're doing fucking OK, so Rudolph. Right. But it's about the Bible and he's going to be a donkey and he's going to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so they can spit out baby Grogu. OK, so 
okay, we we can't have a snowstorm. They're in the fucking desert. What what's the equivalent here? And then they're like a sandstorm. You know, where big amounts of wind like turn up sand and it's loud as shit. <laughs> Perfect. I'll be able to hear right through that. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? I don't. I'm reading the plot on Wikipedia, and it says he hears his mother's voice, and she says to follow the voices of angels. Uh oh! It sounds like this is another A24 remake. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> no, please no. A24 can't remake the Rankin Bass cinematic universe. I think they could. <laughs> they could definitely try. Are they going to ask me to direct all of them? <laughs> they'll ask you to direct most of them and then josh and i will tag out for like the shittier one okay you guys can have nestor the long-eared donkey <laughs> wait josh can direct nestor and i'll direct the frosty sequel that nobody else can see the potential in nate's uh the russo brothers while we're Zack snyder <laughs> no nate's joss whedon and we're the russo brothers uh, hey, hey, hey i respect women damn you nate's edgar wright and we're whoever directed ant-man <laughs> he's gonna drop out the project he's gonna get fired for being too based it's probably it's honestly it's definitely better animated than uh twas the night before christmas with the little asshole atheist mouse so we'll put it at the top of boomer food i think the redditor mouse <laughs> <laughs> slash pole mouse likes to go on the politically incorrect boards on 4chan he's the r the donald mouse <laughs> <laughs> all right time for the 1978 special the stingiest man in town this is the rank and bass take on a christmas carol all told from the perspective of b.a humbug or bah humbug a tiny jiminy cricket ripoff who lives in ebenezer scrooge's office it has one of the largest voice casts out of all of these movies and it doesn't take too many noticeable changes from other adaptations of a christmas carol uh, but Scrooge is voiced by prime Walter Matthau, and it also recycles a lot of 2D animation from Twas the Night Before Christmas. That's all I got. The Stingiest Man in Town, 1978. Sounds like some boomer food to me. Yeah, sounds very boomer food. Yeah, the only noticeable change to the uh, Charles Dickens classic is, again, our narrator is B.A. Humbug, or Bah Humbug. Not nearly as good as Jiminy Cricket. It's better than the fucking monster ones. Like I said, prime Walter Matthau. You got the guy who's training kids who's an alcoholic and bad news bears fucking as Ebenezer Scrooge. This is perfect. You got the guy from Dennis the Menace. <laughs> you got the guy from the odd couple. <laughs> you got the guy from Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> no, 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 not Jack Lemon. Not the guy from Glengarry Glen Ross, the other one. The other guy from Grumpy Old Men. <laughs> All right, we're moving on to Rudolph's shiny new year. Do you guys remember this one, the Rudolph sequel? Because uh, it's got quite the synopsis. I do not, but uh, Josh alluded to it earlier. Is this the Baby New Year one? It fucking is. Oh, holy shit, who is that? <laughs> I just saw I saw him in a thumbnail right as you said his name. <laughs> Rudolph shiny new year immediately following the events of Rudolph the red news reindeer literally as soon as they get back Sandolf Santa asks Rudolph Sandolf Sandolf the gray <laughs> so, so Rudolph you know he saves Christmas his his bright nose leads the way through the sandstorm and helps deliver baby Grogu right we know this now as soon as he gets back Santa asks Rudolph to help Father Time find the New Year's baby before midnight 
of New Year's Eve. Otherwise, it will permanently be December 31st forever. So Eon, the giant vulture, the evil giant vulture, wants to stop Rudolph because Eon, the giant evil vulture, will die immediately on New Year's Day because he's an eon old and the the start of the next year would would kill him so rudolph then heads to the archipelagos of time where the baby happy new year is most likely hiding eon tries to murder rudolph but is saved by big ben a sperm whale with a clock on his back uh and then rudolph travels to these uh archipelagos of time which are essentially these islands that are memories of the past and each one of them represents their time period. So 1 million BC island represents a prehistoric anachoristic island that consists of dinosaurs and other prehistoric creatures, as well as cave people living there. The baby there, a couple dinosaurs do make fun of the baby when he is there for having giant ass ears, as you can see in the image above. Uh, then 4,000 BC Island happens where Rudolph mentions that all its inhabitants want to do was build pyramids. So he quickly moves past these 4,000 BC Islanders. <laughs> oh my God. Then he goes to 1023 Island represented as a medieval island filled with fairy tale characters. The year is 1023 uh, in Father Time's narration to be where all the well-known fairy tales and nursery rhymes actually happened. And then Sir 1023 lives there, who's like a knight. Uh, he just So yeah, all the characters here that are chilling with Rudolph and Baby New Year in this photo are members of the RPG party that like join Rudolph in the quest. So like that caveman, his name's OM. He's the uh, one million year old man. And then you got you got Sir 1023 in the, in the suit of armor. And then they go to 1492 Island, where Rudolph mentions that the people on the island were too busy discovering things to talk to Rudolph and OM. So I, I think that was supposed to represent either Enlightenment, um, the Renaissance, but yeah, it's like way too busy. And Rudolph's like, yeah, I guess the baby's not here because I can't talk to anyone. So then he goes ahead to 1776 Island, because what important thing happened in 1776? Represented as Colonial American Island, celebrates American Independence Day on a daily basis with none of the Revolutionary War. Sounds like my house. <laughs> uh, and then 1776 lives here, and it's 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 literally just it's Ben Franklin. <laughs> and then 1893 Island, Rudolph mentions that the inhabitants of uh, of 1893 have never heard of the word happy when he's looking for happy new year because 1893 was indeed an unhappy time as a major economic depression called the panic of 1893 hit the united states that year <laughs> before oh, 2008 no. didn't know what the word happy meant <laughs> <laughs> oh shit the housing crisis of 2008 Island. <laughs> oh, no. Dude, you think that's bad? Go to 2020 Island. <laughs> they didn't even celebrate Thanksgiving. I just went I just went to the 1893 Wikipedia page. The people in 2020 Island doesn't don't know what outside means. The first meeting of the Independent Labor Party in the United Kingdom was in 1893. Of course it was. That's the reason there was the giant depression. <laughs> and then they go to the final island, 1965 Island, 
where Rudolph stated that this island was too noisy to search for happy. Among the noisy world events of 1965 included Beatlemania and other British invasion-related hysteria, as well as growing opposition to the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. Wait, is that, is, wait a second. Is that actually touched on in this movie? Yes. Yes, it is. And the Vietnam War was not quite over when this came out. And then Rudolph finds the baby and saves the day. This is bold as fuck. It's really not. Uh, Rudolph traveled back to 1776 and said nothing about slavery, despite O.M. being with him. <laughs> That's because he agreed with it. Oh, no. this is Rudolph is a slave, Nate. This is boomer food. <laughs> I was about to mention the elves. Uh... You know, I actually, this is really reminiscent of uh, a pretty dope Terry Gilliam movie. Time Bandits? Yeah. yeah, it's not as good as Time Bandits. <laughs> of course not. But you know what? I'm going to say that this is probably all right. I'll, I would give this a watch if I saw that it was on. I don't think it's boomer food. I personally think this is the most lay off the weedy story ever. <laughs> this is literally the biggest shark jump in Rudolph. Like, I mean, I mean, it absolutely is. But I think that they're so like they're so committed to it. Like, it's not like the Easter Bunny one where it's just like, uh, fuck it. Uh, you're without, a, not you're without a Santa Claus. Santa Claus is coming to town, but literally just Easter. It's like, this shit is so fucking whack. Like, it has to be probably all right. I would probably argue for it to be a deserved classic if I had seen it. Are you saying this is the sleeper hit of the Rankin-Bass cinematic universe? Yes. Yes. Josh, what's your sense here? I think it's at the top of layoff the weed. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be. Although I will say it's probably one of the more enjoyable movies on this list in terms of watching like the, the sheer entertainment value, Jory, you're right. But in terms of its messaging, it's boomer food. And in terms of its plot, this is definitely a lay off the weed. I like when I look up Baby New Year, there's a picture of Grogu. <laughs> You mean our Lord and Savior? Yeah. All right. Jack Frost, 1980. Jack Frost, an immortal winter pixie, falls in love with a woman named Eliza, but he can't talk to her because he's not human. So Father Winter gives him a chance, but warns him that Jack must prove he can succeed as a human by earning a house, a horse, a bag of gold, and a wife by the first sign of spring. So this dude's got like three months to become a man. Jack tries and starts to succeed in this task, but then Eliza gets kidnapped by an evil warlord. Jack gives up his immortality to then destroy the army and freeze them all to death, which he does. Oh my god. What? Jack then races off to ask Eliza's hand in marriage after giving up everything and killing thousands of men to have her, and she doth protest because she loves Sir Ravenel, some random simp that lives in the tower with Eliza. Then Jack turns back immortal for good and likes messing with our narrator, pardon me, Pete, the groundhog and his sleep schedule. <laughs> oh my God. I love Pete, the groundhog. <laughs> so that that's Jack Frost. This movie sounds like uh, frozen, but like there's a male protagonist. Uh, so Al Alden, um, I know that. When we were doing our DreamWorks ranking, uh, you had a movie that also starred Jack Frost uh, very high on your list that none of us had, I think, seen. Uh, tell us why when I searched uh, images for Jack Frost, I got a picture of some animated e-boy and his bare feet. 
Rise Rise of the Guardians. Thank you. Um, Are there any similarities in this plot to Rise of the Guardians? No. Well, okay, sort of, but no. Um, I think Jack Frost does have to save someone. I don't remember it that well. Alden's cowboy hat is across the room for me, and it feels like Alden's spirit's talking to me from that hat. <laughs> That's the image. That's the image I got when I looked up Jack Frost for this fucking film. I think you know the reason that that showed up. It has nothing to do with me, man. <laughs> Alden, can you tell us why this movie was in your top 10 dream works? Top five. Can you tell us why this movie was in your top five dream works? Was it top five? No, 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 no. I think it was his number six. I think it was six. Can you tell us why this was in your top six dream work? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. They had all of the holiday mascots like team up. Yeah, and this guy's bare feet were out. So is the Santa Claus 3 uh, your number one Christmas movie? <laughs> the Santa Claus 2 also has all of them, Josh. It doesn't have Martin Short as Jack Frost, but that's okay. Uh, Snow Miser already like did a same thing as Jack Frost, but better. Well, also, Jack Frost has appeared in other movies in the cinematic universe, most notably Frosty's Winter Wonderland, uh, where he plays kind of like this awkward kind of anti-hero where he's trying to take Frosty's hat, but then becomes his best man at his wedding. Um, but they, they look different. I, I think we're to believe that they are different uh, embodiments of the same spirit. Actually, if I'm being honest, this movie is probably the most underrated. I think it's probably all right, personally. Um, I don't like the ending at the end where he gets cucked, though. That part pisses me off because uh, it promotes incel culture. I mean, this man literally killed an entire army to have this lady's hand in marriage and she friend zones him. I think that it was his fault for simping in the first place. Yeah, I'm going to blame him. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Josh, would you watch Jack Frost? No. Would you watch Jack Frost with Michael Keaton? Yes. Would you watch the Rankin Bass Jack Frost if Michael Keaton voiced Jack Frost in it? <laughs> like he like Chick Hicks style? No, like Porco Russo style. <laughs> yeah, Porco Russo style. Did you know that uh, that movie's apparently about PTSD? Didn't. Up next, we've got Pinocchio's Christmas, nineteen eighty. This is pretty much a special of Pinocchio getting a cool gift and then getting peer pressured by his friends Fox and Cat into making a bad choice with said cool gift over and over again. First, they trick Pinocchio into trading his present for gold. So, like, Geppetto gives him this, like, really cool gift, and he's like, fuck it, I'm gonna just pawn it. And then they say if he buries silver, it will turn into a tree of silver coins like an Animal Crossing. And then they rob him blind and dig up his silver and steal it. And then in their final stunt, the fox and cat convince Pinocchio to go to the North Pole and teach Santa's toys how to dance. So Pinocchio goes all the way to the North Pole and then gets boxed up by elves who think he's a toy and try to give him out <laughs> to boys and girls at Christmas. And then Santa realizes, like, night of, while delivering these presents, that he is indeed not a toy and is a real boy, and takes him back to Geppetto's. Pinocchio then always promises to be a good boy instead of a bad one. It was pretty scary. Yeah, so is the original Pinocchio, the Disney one, that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I didn't expect them to take that angle. Like, you hear Pinocchio's Christmas, and you expect it to be some, like, schlock, and I'm sure this is. <laughs> I, I really thought I would be I was like, it'd be like pretty hilarious if they boxed him up like he was a toy as you explained that. And then they did. And like, that's actually like kind of interesting thematically. Are you saying that A24 needs to remake Pinocchio's Christmas? No, no, no. I think 
think there's no i think that there's one interesting aspect of this movie that could lead to a single moment of trauma um but i think overall this movie is somewhere between boomer food and probably all right probably closer to boomer food yeah josh would you watch the ari aster remake of pinocchio's christmas i would <laughs> that moment when they when the uh toy when the elves grab him and shove him into a box would be extremely similar to the moment where those old people jump off a cliff and hereditary i would and i'm tired of acting like i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> it would hit just as hard too you would have that like gut punch like no he's in the box. where in boomer food do we think this lies under the one with the R the Donald's mouth. So it's better than uh the first fucking Easter bunny one. Here comes Peter Cottontail. Yeah, where the main character is a lazy bunny who literally does nothing but is just handed the reins of being the Easter bunny. Yeah, Pinocchio actually like learns a hard lesson in this movie. All right. Who is lit for the next Christmas special that might also be a St. Patrick's Day special? Here it is. The 1981 hit, The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold. There are two factions of leprechauns, the gold miners and the shoemakers. The head of each faction gets married to bring the clans together. Then some sailors show up looking for a pine tree to celebrate Christmas. And some centuries-old banshee that lives under one of the trees that the leprechauns have to sacrifice their gold to every year was living in a tree and was then unearthed. The Banshee then poisons the sailor to give him the gold, and he does. But it takes the, the Banshee too long to eat the gold, and she turns into tears. Then the sailor gave the leprechauns back their gold and sailed them home to Ireland. I'm going to say it. <laughs> this is a really weird rendition of the Lorax. <laughs> Wait, no, is this an A24 remake? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> Jory, tell me why. <laughs> I don't know. There's just like, see, to me, this sounds like um one of those movies that has a really straightforward plot. Like it's not one that's like uber, like heady when you first look at it. But then you do have some things that like you can read more into, like the Banshee turning into tears and sailor coming in on this world that he doesn't understand with this uh not class disparity but this uh <clears throat> rivalry well not really rivalry but cooperation and separation between these two factions of leprechaun um i don't know i think that this is fascinating and i think that uh done right this could really turn some heads in the art world josh are you thinking what i'm thinking Jory needs to lay off the weed. <laughs> Jory does need to lay off the weed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess I see what you're saying. I, I, I guess, like, the fact that there's, like... The... I mean, the 824 Please Remake category is a big meme in and of itself. Like, it worked out surprisingly well for the first Christmas snow thing. But, like... All I'm gonna say is, I want to see this A24 remake more than Frosty's Wonderful Marriage or whatever the fuck <laughs> yeah. the sequel was. <laughs> Nate, you're gonna eat your words when I'm accepting my Oscar. <laughs> if you get an Oscar for a remake of the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold, 
I don't even know what I'll do. I mean, shit. What do you want me to do if that happens? Legally change my name to fucking Jack Frost's feet? <laughs> no, I want Alden to legally change his name to Jack Frost's feet. All right, I'll make that happen. Yeah, <laughs> shaking on it. All right, who's ready for the third and final uh, Easter Bunny origin story attempt? This one's unwatchable. The first Easter rabbit, the 1982 origin story of the Easter Bunny. A little girl named Glinda gets ill with scarlet fever, and all of her toys are thrown away, including Stuffy the bunny, her favorite, a gift from Santa. Stuffy is rescued by a fairy named Calope, or Calope? Yeah, Calope, who brings him to life and ships him off to Easter Valley at the North Pole, where he befriends Santa Claus. Zero, some evil ice wizard, wants to freeze over Easter Valley, so Stuffy does what all heroes should and becomes the Easter Bunny and scares him away. Santa then begins bargaining with, with Zero and gives him real estate in the South Pole, causing Zero to go away forever in a wasteland. That's the first Easter Rabbit. I'm like watching clips from this right now, and the animation is actually like pretty good. Yeah, so this is, uh, I guess I should say, this is 1982, so... In between all of these specials that are being made, Rankin Bass has actually made some relatively cinematic steps. Uh, they they did The Hobbit in 1981, I believe. Uh, and then the year after this, the same animation studio would then tackle uh, Return of the King because they decided to skip the first two books of Lord of the Rings and go straight from The Hobbit to Return of the King. What if Peter Jackson also did that? <laughs> This hobbit that is the nephew of the other hobbit bows to no man. <laughs> Who the fuck are you saying this? <laughs> I said it was going to be unwatchable before. Uh, maybe I'm just shitting on the Easter Bunny because I don't like him. But like, you know what? The synopsis and the animation that I'm seeing here, this movie's probably all right. Dude, this is the studio's third attempt at trying to tell the story of the Easter Bunny. Yeah, third time's the charm. Granted, it's the first time they've tried so in a 2D medium, but I don't know. It sounds rough, boys. Based on the thumbnail alone, I'm just staring at. <laughs> From like the the scrubbing through that I can see, this seems like it's like half a Christmas movie because they figured like people don't give a fuck about Easter. Yeah, Santa's a main character in this movie. Oh, I just saw an animation cycle repeat badly. <laughs> oh no, it's moving down to boomer food tier. <laughs> oh fuck! Damn, as the movie goes through, like you can see them like running out of money. I also love the Santa in this. He has the same vibes as the Zelda CDI shopkeeper. <laughs> yes. Who <laughs> says bombs? You want them? They're yours. We've been mentioning the Zelda CDI games a little too much recently on this channel. I think I, I think it all went downhill when Alden brought up Vor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it does whenever anybody brings up Vor, really. Yeah. You know, I... I'm going to side with you with whatever you pick. We were leaning towards boomer food. The most bloated category. <laughs> Maybe the bottom of boomer food. I don't think it deserves to be at the bottom. I think it deserves to be above the other Easter Bunny one. Okay, okay. So it's definitely better than the fucking Mad 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 Monsters just due to the fact that it, it like has a story. I mean, the Bah Humbug Christmas Tale is okay. Th this one, I fucking hate the main character in Here Comes Peter Cottontail. Like, honestly, fuck that. At least Stuffy's not a dickhead. He's just a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> 
honestly, it can go above the atheist mouse, the fucking redditor mouse. It can be chilling with Nestor the long-eared donkey. I won't lose any sleep. It's a little high for an Easter special, if I'm being honest. They tried with this one. I feel like this was the first time that I'll say like they actually put effort into it. Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, 1982. 82. The Avengers Endgame of the Rankin-Bass Cinematic Universe, starring Rudolph, Frosty, Crystal, Santa, Mrs. Claus, Jingle and Jangle, Jack Frost, and even cameos by the Heat and Snow Miser. This story follows an evil warlock named Winter Bolt who is trying to assassinate Santa while the rest of the friends celebrate their holiday con- contributions in a parade in the middle of July. I'm watching a clip of it. And uh, this ice warlock guy has uh, dragons that he controls. And they're like, but the animation style, it's like they are like puppets and the others are still stop motion. And there's a shot where like the ice dragon like blows over the other stop motion characters. But because they're stop motion characters, they're just fucking little marionettes that just fall over backwards stiff as board. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this also brings Frosty and his family because now they have like him and Crystal have like little snow children as well. Uh, They they are brought into the the uh, stop motion world as they have been 2D animated up until this point. Uh, So they're there booling with Santa and his gang. And yeah, like Jack Frost comes back from the one that we put in probably all right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the rise of the Guardians for the Rankin-Bass cinematic universe. Uh-oh, I'm watching Rudolph and Frosty 1979, Rudolph versus Winterbolt. Yeah, so there are some confusions as to the years that these were released. I went with the the uh, the telev- the year that they were televised, but also commercially viable for at-home sales. So I think it was probably originally released in 1979, but it's uh, 1982 based on uh, home distribution. Yeah, I just love that this video is like Rudolph versus Winterbolt. Like it's an epic like superhero battle. Yeah, I mean, Winterbolt, of all the enemies in these movies, he's certainly the most intimidating. He's got like actual powers and shit. His his objective is literally to kill Santa so that way Winter can be his. He's like Thanos if Thanos wasn't just like strong guy. I love that the runtime for this one is almost 100 minutes yeah it's the longest out of all of them it, it, it's kind of the conclusion it's the end game of the fucking time. yeah it's the conclusion of the uh rudolph trilogy and it's also the conclusion of the frosty trilogy they really like put all their eggs in one basket holy shit uh rudolph has like a birthmark on the bottom of his hoof a lot of people consider this to be the last like rankin bass movie too like there was a short-lived era after but this was really kind of the end of it all Kind of like how people are going to see the MCU in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. When Black Widow finally releases in theaters and people are like, who the fuck cares? I don't even know who you are. I think this is probably all right. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that this is probably all right. I'm going to say it now. It's better than the Emperor's New Clothes. It might not be as good as Jack Frost, but at least no one gets cocked at the end. <laughs> not that it's a conclusion, but it feels like kind of like oh holy shit those other iconic movies like maybe it's like kind of like one last hurrah maybe it just deserves to like 
be mid tier. Yo, Winterbolt's death scene is kind of fucking terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is. I remember that as a kid. It traumatized the fuck out of me. Yeah, I'm like watching it now and I was like a little shocked. I can only imagine if I was like six watching that. He turns into like this tree guy, but he looks visibly like a corpse like right beforehand. In this universe, uh, Rudolph is definitely the uh, Captain America because he has like the most awkward ending to his like story arc ever in this so like frosty and his family's like oh we're just gonna go like permanently reside at the north pole you know retire let our kids grow up get them in a good public school system maybe coach some sports you know like all middle-aged couples do right and then rudolph on the other hand goes full sonic 06 and falls in love with a member of the circus who they all try to help and who's like uh like a ballerina or whatever and uh, he decides to stay with the circus and help them out of their debts. Wow. So he falls in love with a human girl. I'm kind of upset I've never seen this. I'm kind of upset that the bestiality is what sold you on it. <laughs> <laughs> I have no defense, but it's just this sounds so weird as a total package. Yeah, it does sound like a weird package, a reindeer. So what I really like about uh uh rudolph and frosty's christmas in july um is it has the kind of same lay off the weed fully commit to crazy shit that uh that uh rudolph's new year's does but it also has like all the characters that you love from like uh the santa the santa claus is coming to town in the year without santa claus so it's kind of the best of both worlds in my opinion oh yeah yeah i'm cool with this going on the top of probably all right here all right, so what's our final movie? The final movie. So what do you do with a cinematic universe after you've had your big epic conclusion? You make a prequel that should have come out 10 years before. You could do that. Or you could have like a really lame, I don't know, Mayflower Mouse spinoff. Um, but here's what they did instead. <clears throat> the Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, 1985. With Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July concluding a lot of ongoing arcs in the narrative, it seemed there wasn't anywhere else for Rankin Bass to go with their stop-motion holiday specials. That is, until 1985, they decided to go back to the origins of Santa Claus and have a gritty reboot. Oh no. A bunch of wood elves find an orphan boy in the forest, and they name him Klaus. Klaus does good deeds for other boys and girls of the village and begins making them gifts. However, an evil race of dwarves called of Klaus because their whole like thing is to persuade children to be evil and selfish. Therefore, there is a whole battle between good and evil as Klaus tries to deliver president presents. It's kind of cringe that that's my synopsis. Uh, there's like actual like war scenes. They kind of use a lot of their like uh, miniatures from like the Lord of the Rings. And they try to make this like a, a holiday fantasy epic. This feels like the Hobbit of the Rankin Bass. Uh, well, they, they did a Hobbit, but yes, this, this is the other Hobbit. This feels like the desolation of Smaug of the Rankin Bass. So yeah, they pretty much tried to do a remake of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I mean, the first and second act are pretty much beat for beat, like the same thing, but in like a slightly darker, less cheery environment in like the middle of the woods that's not covered in snow. And then it straight up turns into like a battle between good and evil while Santa is delivering presents. <laughs> 
this is what I would expect from like a live action remake. I feel like this deserves to be just under the second Rudolph movie in Lay Off the Weed. Yeah, it's definitely Lay Off the Weed tier. I feel like this is what I think Rise of the Guardians is like. If this were to have a live action remake, who would direct it? Of this? Yes, of this. Uh, Zack Snyder, but it would still be animated and it would be a lot like Legends of Gahul. Okay, but live action specifically live action m night Shyamalan. maybe peter jackson would fuck around with another like mortal engines garbage shit thing that's what i was thinking yeah but peter jackson didn't direct that shit they just threw his name over it robert rodriguez might be down for it if james cameron produced it i'd love to see that like this has alita battle angel vibe <laughs> i mean he's giving us a shark boy and lava girl sequel so what does he have to lose would george lucas direct this would he be like you know what uh strange magic is really Career. <laughs> Strange magic. He made a fucking karaoke musical with fairies. How embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I just sold my rights to Star Wars and now I'm doing Strange Magic. I sold my rights to Star Wars and I have this uh, movie that I'm sitting on for like 20 years and uh, I told Disney to release it. Where's Red Tails 2? Where's American Graffiti 2? I would rather see either of those than this movie. If, if, if it's up to me, I think that the life and adventures of Santa Claus can either go an unwatchable or lump of coal. I mean, it it killed the, the Rankin-Bass TV special deal. They were no longer asked to make holiday specials after this. Granted, Rankin and Bass both retired after 25 years in the industry, but, you know, this is a fucking embarrassing way to go out on. They should have just swallowed their pride and finished with Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, but they're like, oh, no. Our universe is printing money. We've got to make just one more. And then it turned out to be the nail in the coffin. I'm of two minds with this one. I kind of want to see this go in lump of coal. But then again, I also think it would be hilarious if Little Drummer Boy was in Lump of Coal by itself. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm sitting. <laughs> I love how Little Drummer Boy 2 is just booling. <laughs> it's an unwatchable but little drummer boy one is in lump of coal fuck this movie its sequel is slightly less bad what are some other movies like that what movies with slightly better sequels uh gi joe oh yeah that's true first gi joe was worse than the transformers movies and the second one was better than all the transformers movies i think bumblebee might be better than the second gi joe i don't really watch a lot i mean this is kind of evident from like the draft battles that i did but i don't really watch movies that i hear are bad for the most part yeah i mean who would hunt down movies that are bad <laughs> i don't know some insane person named nathaniel r martin who watched like 37 out of the 40 video game movies in that draft yeah when josh and i got video game movies we were both like uh <laughs> <laughs> all right so here's our tier list at the very bottom in lump of cold tier is the little drummer boy at the bottom of unwatchable tier we have the mouse on the mayflower then the little drummer boy 2 and rounding out the top of unwatchable we have the life and adventures of santa claus in the lay off the weed tier we've got the ballad of Smokey the bear at the very bottom then here comes Peter Cottontail. Wait, is that called Here Comes Peter Cottontail? No, it's called The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town. The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town, booming in the middle of Lay Off the Weed tier. And then the the king of Lay Off the Weed tier is Rudolph's Shiny New Year. And then the boomer food category. The very bottom is Mad, Mad, Mad Monsters. 
and then the stingiest man in town, followed by Here Comes Peter Cottontail, then Pinocchio's Christmas, Twas the Night Before Christmas, the first Easter rabbit. Yes, I got it without looking. <laughs> and then Nestor, the long-eared donkey, rocking the top of Boomer Food. In A24, please remake tier. We've got... I kind of regret putting Frosty here. We've got Frosty's Winter Wonderland, 1976. And then we have the Leprechaun's Christmas Gold and the first Christmas at the top of A24, please remake. I'm really happy with how that tier turned out. (laughs) At the bottom of the probably all right tier, we've got Jack Frost, the Emperor's New Clothes, and then the... Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July at the top. And in the Deserved Classics tier, we've got Frosty the Snowman, The Year Without Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and number one, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Hell yeah. You know, it is kind of nice that the Deserved Classics is the uh, category with the second most movies in it. I suppose. I feel like it's also like those are probably the four that people know going into this. And I think it's interesting how like those four have, I I guess, probably aged the best because they're like the ones that they still play. Yeah, they have they feel the most timeless where like I think all of them in the boomer food feel so dated, which is why they're in boomer food. I think there's people that would probably fight us. I think like the little drummer boy has some like like sleeper fans. Um, people would probably say that's like number five. I'm sure. Pe- I'm sure there's some Peter Contail stands. <laughs> Easter Bunny's coming to town or whatever is their favorite. I think everybody kind of just acknowledges that the Easter Bunny is such a shit character. <laughs> Even if you like Easter, like a fucking bunny that lays eggs. When are you going to grow up? What's next? You want a Tooth Fairy movie? We had that. And it was fucking great. Uh, Anyway, I just want to say I'm really proud of us for none of us saying that Santa isn't real because we do have extremely young listeners, I suppose. So good on you guys. What are you talking about? Santa is real. You're right. Yeah. The Queen of England is not. Except he has (laughs) COVID-19. Santa's immune to COVID-19. What's it called? Uh, The CDC said so. Uh, I think Dr. Anthony Fauci said so. I don't think the CDC said so. Hang on. (laughs) What are the sources on Santa being immune? What if if it was uh, an abbreviation and they meant to say that uh, Santa is immunocompromised and there will be no Christmas this year? (laughs) Um, Santa's innate immunity to COVID-19 means Christmas flight remains on schedule, Fauci says. (laughs) Fauci is based and understands that Christmas is a much more important holiday than Thanksgiving, a non-holiday. Let's celebrate Christmas, but then Easter's canceled. (laughs) Fuck Easter. Uh, Last Easter was kind of low-key canceled. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going full circle, boys. <laughs> I, that was this year, wasn't it? <laughs> and Josh is like, what did I do last Easter? And it's just him in his basement drinking lime white claw. I feel like that's how I feel every Easter, though. Like, whenever I think back to any Easter, it's like, what did I do? Probably nothing. <laughs> I remember 2019 Easter, Nate told me to go home. That out of context was just really funny. <laughs> you were like, I don't know what I should do. And, and you, I was like, <laughs> go home, buddy. <laughs> so you drove eight hours each way to go see your family for Easter. With Hayden. And I didn't go. F- I went uh, after Easter. Based. So was it even for Easter? <laughs> Mm-mm. 
I still got a basket though. Just an April visit. Wasn't it just like spring break? Well, thank you everyone for listening to our tier list. And if you're watching along on YouTube, be sure to check out our uh, our podcast. Uh, links in the description. Special thanks to our guest Julie for joining us. <laughs> she was really quiet today. Have a merry Christmas, everyone. No, we still got three more weeks of Christmas episodes. Actually, I think we're doing two Christmas episodes, but it's cool. That's okay. <laughs> Unless I actually make that uh, Jory's top 10 non-traditional Christmas movies list. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Duel of the Takes. If you haven't already, check out the Duel of the Takes YouTube channel, where we have highlights of every episode, bonus lists, as well as comedy sketches and more. Also, give us a follow on Instagram. We do interactive stories, movie and pop culture memes, and when we record, if we ever need a tiebreaker, we go live on Instagram to you, our audience, to get an answer. If you want to be a part of the discussion, check out our Discord channel for movie debates, hot takes, gaming moments, etc. And as always, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.